This podcast was recorded on September 7th, 2021. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or of its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. All right, everybody, welcome to The Sherman Show. I'm Jeff Sherman here with my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And today we have a very unique guest. We have Bob Froelich. We call him Dr. Bob. That's the moniker he goes by. He's a former vice chairman of Deutsche Asset Management. And more importantly, he's the owner of the Kane County Cougars Baseball Club. So uh, meshing my two favorite things together, baseball and economics. So Dr. Bob, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you both. It's great to be here. Yeah, so uh, Dr. Bob, before we jump into baseball, it was a big series over the weekend for many teams, uh, my team included. Why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit about your background? Um, you know, when we were researching about you as well, we've seen you speak in the past. You're a very entertaining speaker, but we've seen you do it all. You know, working the steel mills, general laborer, Wall Street uh, enthusiast, also a baseball club owner. So give us a little bit of background and a tour of Dr. Bob's life. Yeah, well, I, you know, I've always been a numbers guy, so it, it was like a natural transition for me to go from Wall Street to, to baseball. It's just the type of numbers I focused on were way different. Instead of worrying about GDP and inflation, now I worry about attendance and how many beers are being sold on any given day. But it's still it's still the numbers game. I, you know, I, I always loved baseball. I was born and raised in Pittsburgh. I, I worked in the steel mills when I was still in college, and I was fortunate enough to play two years of independent minor league baseball uh, in Pittsburgh on the same team that Art Howe of the Moneyball fame uh, played. So I, I've always had that love and passion. And uh, I was just very fortunate in my life to, to get an opportunity to work in municipal research. And that's what really started my Wall Street career. And it's just that, that passion for numbers is a great attribute to have if you're going to be successful on Wall Street. And I've just been very fortunate in my career to work with a lot of great people and a lot of great organizations and have the uh, opportunity to, to share views of the market. And, you know, I was very fortunate that I my, my career coincided with this explosion of the CNBCs and the Fox business. And so it was an interesting time because when you would say something, you know, someone would follow it, you'd end up getting an interview. And so it was a a different point in time, and I, I enjoyed it uh, greatly to be able to have that platform. Yeah, well, tell us about the transition to baseball. Like, you know, I, I know you have the affinity for numbers, but, you know, um, first of all, tell us, you know, what did you play in the minor leagues? Give us yeah. your position, and, you know, what made you really get interested in, you know, becoming a, an owner of a franchise? Well, I, I was I was a lot thinner and faster back then, so I was uh, – I was a center fielder, but but sort of a light hitting center fielder. So I had a really good arm, really good range. Uh, so a, a good defensive center fielder. And, uh, you know, right before I, I, I went to the University of Dayton, the last game of the year as a semi-pro minor league team, I, I blew out my right, my left knee. And, uh, you know, when you're a, when you're a weak hitting defensive center fielder and you lose a step, um, you're, you're in trouble. And so, 
uh, then I came back a little too soon and blew out the other ligament, same knee. And so, uh, you know, that is probably the best thing that ever happened to me because knowing what I know now, I would have probably been a very light hitting uh, 29 year old still playing low A baseball thinking I could chase the dream. So I, I think God looked out for me and gave me that injury so I would get my life together and, and head down a different path. But I, I never lost that that love for baseball. And, and so I, I didn't I didn't envision like I would just buy a team, but I was going to be interested in. And looking at a team and serving on a board and the Kane County Cougar opportunity come up and they were trying to refinance some debt. So again, it was, it was marrying that love for baseball and my career on wall street to say, oh, I can help you do that. And so one thing led to another. And, uh, you know, we, we, I took my family, my wife and my, my two daughters, we would go to those games, you know, 25 years ago in Kane County. It was just an easy, very affordable place to, to watch a game and, you know, when I think back, you know, 25 years ago, did I ever think that, you know, one day I would be owning the team? It just it was, it's too far. It's too far fetched to believe. I mean, I actually pinch myself every day. think I, I really can't be owning a minor baseball team. It's sort of the coolest, coolest business in the world. I mean, it really is. I mean, how many other places can you like have a beer and a hot dog at work? I mean, that's that's sort of what we do at minor league baseball game. So it's a great environment. Well, well, definitely Sam's been trying to integrate that tradition into the double line trading desk. Uh, so far, uh, it hasn't been well received. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, f- first of all, you know, minor league baseball is known for some kind of quirky promotions. What's your favorite promotion you've seen both as, you know, just in your career and just being around minor league baseball? But also, what's your favorite promotion that you guys have done with the Kane County Cougars? Oh, I think in life, you always learn the most when you make a mistake, not when you do something right. So I'm going to twist your question a little bit and share with you what I thought was my greatest idea of an owner that ended up being the biggest disaster we ever had in Kane County. So we were trying to think of something new to do. We we always we'd make money on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'd lose money Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So I had a bright idea. Let's just take this one day at a time. Let's How do we win Wednesday? And so we did some research and we found that, that, that a team somewhere, I, I think somewhere in Georgia, was doing 10 cent hot dogs on Wednesday. And I said, well, I can beat that. We're going to do one cent meter Wednesday. And I just it had a ring to it. I just thought, I'm, we're going to knock the cover off the ball. This would be a great thing because the more hot dogs they eat, the more beer they're going to drink, the more soda, popcorn. And so I had this great plan that I was going to be the first one with one cent meter Wednesday. Well, what ended up happening is at the end of the night, people would walk up with a quarter and take 25 hot dogs with them. And the, the, the real, the, the real disaster though was we have, we have 13 beautiful suites, air conditioned suites where people can watch games in, you know, really upcharge for all the food and beverage. Well, every Wednesday, all the people in all the suites, they never bought any food. They sent a kid downstairs with a dollar bill. He came back with a hundred hot dogs. Our, our our food and beverage per capita got destroyed on Wednesday. Single worst idea ever in baseball. And I get to claim it for that. We got crushed on Wednesdays. Yeah, I, I could totally see Sam attain his first minor league baseball game for that promotion alone. And I do know he would he would probably come with a big Lincoln. And I'm not talking about the penny. He's going with the five dollar bill, you know, to try to to try to do exactly that. So, um, you know, on that note, before we jump on the economics front, uh, what are some of the like, you know, things you learned from the pandemic too? Obviously, you know, there's a big challenge last year, uh, just the pandemic as a whole. But 
minor league baseball, you know, what have you learned over that and some of the things you've learned from business to apply that to get back on track this year? Yeah. Well, I, I think the biggest thing that, that I learned individually and we learned as an organization at the King County Cougars is that, that, that you have to learn to pivot and you, you have to learn to, you know, how, how do you how do you play the best cards that are dealt to you? Because we, we couldn't, we, we, we had capacity restrictions put in place. And so we had to get creative and put things that used to be in a suite. We put them out in a lawn area, we put them out in an open air area. And so you just, we, we, I think it forced more creativity. We, we sort of just continue to do things the same way. And I, I think the wake up call for the pandemic was, you got to be creative. You got to figure out how to pivot. And more importantly, I think it taught us. We had our best success with the, the clients. When I say clients, I'm talking season ticket holders, group ticket sales, sponsors, the people that we communicated with the most. You know, we tended to have the greatest transition. And I think that, it, you know, everyone says that you have to have great communication and great transparency. But I'll tell you one thing this pandemic really proved out to us. It was the outreach program that we had and the staying in touch with people. You know, they, they don't, they just need to know what you're trying to do, what you're trying to put together. You don't have to have the right answers all the time, but son of a gun, if you, if you're proactive and you're sharing with sponsors and sharing with your stakeholders, you know, what your situation is, what you're trying to do. Um, that's a great message that we took away because we didn't do enough of that when there wasn't a crisis. So sometimes you need to have a crisis to do things right, but that's a whole new model for us. You know, we're, we're doing more with newsletters, more with class, more with outreach. And, and that's a positive thing that happened to us as a result of, of, of this pandemic, because we would probably just been doing business as usual if it wasn't for that. So what, one more thing, I said we we're going to transition, but you know, you know, my my affinity for baseball keeps me here too. But what do you think about the impact with Major League Baseball really trying to cut down on the number of minor league teams? You know, get rid of. You said talked about low A balls where you were playing and the likes. Um, in my hometown, you know, we had the, the single A club, uh, something that our family always went to as well. What do you think about the new kind of idea about baseball? We're limiting the minor leagues, only keeping it at a higher level. Do you think it destroys something across middle America? Or am I being too draconian in thinking about that? No, I, I, I actually support it. I, I support it because I, I think Commissioner Manfred and his one baseball vision is, look, we shouldn't have independent ball and affiliated ball. You know, it's all minor league baseball. Let's figure out a way to put an umbrella over this whole thing. But when you do that, you can't have the same number of teams. But by reducing the number of teams, they're, they're, they're going to improve the ability to, to, to pay those minor league players, you know, what they really deserve. It's, it's tough when you have six levels of minor league baseball to be paying all those players. But I think the contraction down to 120 teams allows those major league teams to really take care of those players in a much better way. And then those that can't make it, there's still other opportunities. And so we're now, we, we were affiliated uh, prior to that. Kind of, our, our Kane County Cougars, we were a part of, first it was the Chicago Cubs and then the Arizona Diamondbacks. And we were one of the teams that were contracted out. But I can tell you, I mean, I, 
I wish we weren't contracted out, but I support 100% what baseball was trying to do, what Dan Halen's job was. I think he did a great job doing it. And now we can't, again, we're pivoting. We come to live another day. Now we're part of the Major League Baseball Partner League teams. And it's, it's kind of interesting because when we were when we were just affiliated with the Arizona Diamondbacks, like so our 25-player roster, you, you usually have like one scout at the game and it was usually the Diamondback scout. And maybe you'd have one other if they were looking to trade a minor league player. But now we're in this partner league. That means any of the 30 major league teams can buy a contract from me for any of the players. Now the, the guys on my team this past season, they were playing before eight and nine scouts on any given day. And so for these young men, this is a great, great opportunity for them. Where before they were seen by one set of eyes. Now they're seen by nine or 10 different sets of eyes. And so... I really think, you know, there's with anything, there's winners and losers. I think we maybe are perceived that we lost because we weren't one of the 120. But, you know, I just think that we're, we have the ability to still be part of that major league umbrella. And we're trying to provide family, family friendly entertainment at an affordable price. And whether we're affiliated or not affiliated, we're still going to continue to do that. No, I, I love it. And I love the way you're you upbeat on the outlook. And I mean, I'm sure I'm sure the young gentlemen on your team really appreciate that as well. So um, for those of uh, those of our listeners that are like, what the heck is this podcast going for? That's exactly what we were going for, because now we're going to show the versatility of Dr. Bob. He's not just a center fielder. He's also someone who understands markets. So talk to me about you know so, some of the things you're seeing in the marketplace today. I mean, We've had unprecedented policies, you know, Federal Reserve. We've seen the fiscal authorities get together. Uh, we've had new, you know, records in markets this year on the equity side. Uh, bond market continues to trade relatively range bound for the time being here. Uh, what are you thinking about thematically over the next six to 12 months? And, you know, kind of what are what are some of the ideas that you're throwing around for investors to be interested in today? Well, First of all, I mean, I, I know we always say we're living in unprecedented times, but I, I'm telling you, this really is. It's, it's unbelievable, you know, what, what is going on and how the markets are hit from every angle. I, I, look, I, I try to simplify the, the, the view of the market. And what I found in my career is that ultimately a, a stock market is going to be a reflection of the underlying strength or weakness of the economy. So there are always going to be periods of disconnect. The market's going to get in front of itself. The market's going to overreact on the downside. But 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 is is a great driving force. You know the, the market is going to be driven by what the economy is and and you know the economy. I still think it, it has moved uh, room to move. I, I think uh, the the employment picture could still get stronger in, num in the number of jobs that we create. That creates a multiplying effect for people who have jobs and now they have money to spend and they're going to spend money on companies that drive the market. And so I'm still pretty bullish on what I see happening over that period of time. But, you know, the, we, we have one headwind that worries me more than another, and, and that is that is inflation, although I don't think it's coming anytime soon. Uh, you know, we've just had the best thing we could ever ask for. You know, we had such low energy prices. We had no interest rates, not just low interest rates, but not and virtually no inflation. I mean, that you, you couldn't ask for a better picture for the stock market. And so now we have one of those heads coming up as a headwind that I think is investors that we really have to pay very, very close attention to because that changes the dynamics quickly for any uh, long-term equity investor. 
Yeah, so let's let's go into the inflation front because obviously it's a huge topic of discussion across our team. You know, we, we see elements that appear to be transitory where we can buy the Fed narrative. We see other things that are building in the system that don't look as transitory. You talked about labor forces. We're seeing wage pressure. We're seeing, um, in general, just wages, you know, being discussed uh, uh, about having a higher minimum wage. Uh, broader participation across various uh, cohorts, not just the traditional kind of white male, um, you know, unemployment rate, but looking across, you know, various diversity, but also the, some of the things that haven't made their way into the series, such as rents and, and housing, which take a bit longer. Now, by no means house prices just going up drive inflation. But when we think about rent and how that affects other parts of the market, it does have some inflationary effects. So how are you thinking about that? Because you said, I, I think I heard from you say, it's not that big of concern today, but what do you mean by that as you think about, let's say the next 24 months or so? Well, that, that is the concern because it is the lagging effect of what's gonna happen. And I, I think one of the catalysts that, that, that I'm looking at is that I, I really think that this dynamic of working from home uh, is, is one of the big game changers of maybe the last 50 years because I firmly believe we're never going back to that old model again. The, once employees got the flexibility and realized, hey, Zoom calls work. I really don't have to get in a car for an hour to go to an office just to get on the phone and talk to someone. And so I think that that dynamic has just now begun to work its way and start to work its way through into what it's going to mean to residential real estate, what it's going to mean to the rental market, what it's going to mean to commercial real estate. And I think that dynamic is going to continue to play itself out. And where I think the, the, the inflation piece is going to come from is the residential home prices are going to go up as people that used to live in the city you know, we're going to be going back out in the suburb again. That's going to drive those prices up. You're going to have, a, I believe, a lot of younger people that typically are in the center urban areas also saying, you know, I don't have to be here if I don't want to be. I could get a little more space, but maybe not as a buyer, but more as a renter. So, you know, I see that that combination of both single family home prices going up, rental prices going up, as I said, not the next six months, but this, this work from home, I, I think it's going to change real estate uh, forever. I just don't think we're going back to the old model. Okay. And then as we think about the Fed, there's, there's much made always about the Fed and what they're doing. Are they too lax? Are they too tight? Uh, are they going to taper? Are they not going to taper? What's it look like? So uh, how do you put the Fed into that equation when you're starting to think about it? Um, is it a certain level of inflation that gets there? If you use their average inflation targeting, they still really aren't to the 2% number if you use like a couple of years and you kind of, you know, just smooth that out a little bit. So how are you thinking about that? And what does it mean for overall asset allocation? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, look, I, I've, I've spent four years trying to guess what the Fed was going to do from Paul Volcker to Alan Greenspan. You know, I've learned one thing. I'm really not very good at that, uh, you know, after the fact I am. So, I, you know, I, I think I don't think there is. Uh, Jeff, I don't think there is any one answer of what they look at. You know, there, there may be, we maybe could rank them. There are some things that they maybe look at that will have a greater influence than others. But I think it's the whole dynamic of what's going on with the economy. So from my standpoint, that's why I said I'm not real worried right now, because even with the uptick, to, to your point, we're still well below whether that's a, a real trigger, two or two and a half percent, or an artificial trigger. I think there's the ability for the Fed to, to move slower rather than faster. And I think that that's, I think that's been the, the, the name of the game, at least over the last 
I'd say 10 years as, as the global markets became so interconnected, uh, there was no place to hide. And so it, I think it gave our Federal Reserve Board the, the ability to move on the upside slower. And so if, you, if, if you've got the rate, you know, sometimes when you're cutting rates, you know, you cut them, nothing happens. And you cut them again and nothing happens. You're thinking, oh, my gosh, are we ever going to get the economy working again? Uh, but with this global connectivity, when you raise rates, you can stop things pretty fast, especially if you if, if your first tick is, you know, a 50 basis point stop. So I think the global inter interconnectivity gives the Federal Reserve Board the ability to, to wait more than they would have before it, when they make that move up. So I, I think that that's I think it's a positive for, for, for you know, asset allocation. I mean, obviously, you know, the bond market is 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 going to be under pressure, you know, in an environment when everyone thinks that, you know, rates are going up. So that's certainly going to be a, a, a tough segment of the market to be in. I still think equities will do okay only because historically rates are still going to be relatively low, even after they start moving them up. And so, you know, if you just use the basics, I, I don't know that, you know, you're just not getting paid to sit in cash anymore right now. So if I were using stocks, bonds and cash, you know, I, I'd still be overweight the stock market, because I think that's the best place to be, not just because of, of Fed policy, but I think that with the low interest rates, you're not getting paid for the risk taken in the bond market and certainly not getting paid for sitting in cash. And so it becomes sort of the the, the only remaining asset class out there. It seems like don't invest or be investing. And when you when I say invest in the market, you know, be smart about it, be diversified in in multiple industries, you know, don't be looking at one segment, but you know, some large caps, some small cap, you know, some exposure to industries that 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 don't correspond with each other. So you know, get little utilities along with a, a little technology, so that you have a good diversified portfolio. Okay, and you mentioned real estate earlier, so we'll, we'll throw that into the mix. You know, because a lot of people, some of their biggest uh, asset holdings are in real estate. So what about things like alternatives? We hear this a lot from the institutional community. Uh, they're moving to private markets. I, I like to remind people that private equity and private debt is still equity. It's still debt. It may be private, but uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, heuristics that are used to map them to one another. Uh, what, what do you think about these other assets, which tend to be higher, uh, exhibit higher correlation to things like inflation? For instance, we haven't talked about gold. Um, you know, there's a big uh, crypto sell-off today. I'm not sure where you, you sit in that camp. But what do you think about things of trying to capitalize on the inflationary environment that, that you could potentially see? I mean, I, I, I think all investors have to. It used to be, you know, 20 years ago, it was only the institutional investors that would look at an alternative and So now I think it's gone mainstream, you know, that what was once just the privy of institutional investors. Now, you know, every investor, every retail investor has uh, the ability to look at that. And so I, I, I think it, it needs to be a part of a portfolio. And so, you know, that alternative sleeve, whether it's in real estate, whether it's in commodities, it, it's an important element that's going to help you capture that upside as, as prices rise, as inflation rises. And especially, you know, if you're bullish about growth around the world, and I am, I, I think not only do I think the U.S. You know, is going to continue to do well. You know, Germany has come off some really great numbers, and I think you know Asia is turning things around. So that that tends to be pretty bullish for commodities, whether you're looking at gold, whether you're looking at copper, and you know lumber, you, you name it. And so if you, 
if you think the backdrop for our global economy is stronger rather than weaker, you really should look at getting some sort of exposure to, to, to that alternative space. And, and the alternative, you know, would be to me would be commodities, especially if you think you're going to have a bullish run in the in global markets. So some of the things that you mentioned there, you talked about the, the strength of the, the global economy, uh, continued strength and, you know, here in the U.S. as well. I guess you know, we've heard some pundits out there say that uh, we're already past the middle stages of the economic recovery or the economic cycle, I should say, rather than recovery, and that we actually might even be in the later stages now. What's your thinking of where we are in the economic cycle? Um, how much, you know, what's the, the pace of growth from here? You know, the, I've seen recently a number of the, the banks out there have downgraded a little bit their, their pace of economic recovery or economic growth in. Uh, the next quarter. It's not negative by any stretch of the imagination. It's still quite strong, actually, relative to history. But in terms of this recovery that we have, it's, it may be the next quarter may be the lowest print. Yeah. Sam, I'll, I'll use a baseball analogy. I, th- I think we're probably in like the third or fourth inning, not the eighth or ninth inning. I, I think that investors, they got to be really careful what they watch that comes out on Wall Street because, you know, you, you, that everyone tends to want to under-promise and over-deliver. So, you know, sometimes you say, ah, you know, it's going to be weak, it's going to be weak. Oh, it did great, you know, and, and then the, everyone's happy with it. So I, I tend to think that there's more of that under-promising and over-delivering. I, I look at this, I, I don't know what the infrastructure bill is going to look like, you know, in terms of what those catalysts are going to be, but I, I, I firmly believe there's still going to be more support coming out of, coming out of Washington. Uh, you know, I think some of the programs that are rolling off, you may see other aspects going on. That may cause us problems five or 10 years from now, but certainly over the next 12 to 18 months, I think you're going to continue to see some way, shape or form continued fiscal stimulus. And I think, I said before, I, I don't think there's the need because of the inflation number still being you know, relatively mild for, for the Fed to move rates up. So, you know, as I try to figure out is the economy, you know, early on or later on, you know, low interest rates, more fiscal stimulus. Uh, you know, a, a lot of small businesses are just now recovering, you know, so and they're they're getting back to full strength. So I, I just I don't share that doom and gloom picture. I just think things are going to get stronger now. You know, 18 months from now, when we have to start paying those bills. That's a that's a different story. But for, for my, you know, six to 18 months time frame, I, I like what I see. Yeah. And on that, you know, I like to remind people, too, that baseball is not soccer. They don't end in ties. So even when you approach the eighth inning, um, you know, they can still go 12, 13. I had the very unfortunate experience of going to the World Series a couple of years ago when the Dodgers were playing the Red Sox. And it went 18 innings, Dr. Bob. No one could hit. Everybody was trying to hit so hard. You could just see it was nothing but pop-ups in the infield, lazy hands, right? And then finally, uh, Max Muncy did uh, come through. I think it's the only time I've rooted for the Dodgers. I'm like, someone in this game, I'm being tortured here. I think it was like uh, 1230 or something at night after starting like a 5 o'clock game. So, um, But your point is well taken, too, on that, even though I took it on a tangent there, is that Peak growth does not mean that we go into a recession. It's just that we had knockout growth. And so from from the standpoint of thinking about it, what do you think about where a lot of people see a disconnect between bond yields and what's going on in economic activity? I mean, 
We have record nominal GDP. I know people are saying it's going to mean revert. I saw a lot of research say, oh, we had this rally from 175 to 120 on the 10-year. The bond market's saying recession's coming. Uh, I think it was a lot more technical things. But how, how do you kind of rationalize what's going on in the rates market today in the U.S. with some of those kind of views that you have on, on the U.S. economy? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there are are some periods of, of disconnect in terms of what, what the economic numbers are telling you and what the yield is, is approaching in the market. And I think that the part of it is just the concern that when rates do back up, that there's a tendency that they could back up faster than, than people are worried about. So, you, you know, you have that, I think that potential that's there, because at the end of the day, you know, I, I think the underlying strength is, again, we talked about earlier, it's coming from, you know, low energy prices, low interest rates and fiscal stimulus. So, you know, when, when you have those headwinds, I, you know, I, I'm not going to throw the, the bond traders under the bus, but, the, you know, you, you, you almost are forced to overreact a little bit on the downside when you see when you see all that positive, the, that potential positive uh, numbers just continually to be printed. OK, you, you also mentioned the recovery. You know, you, you specifically mentioned what's coming out of Asia. You also talked about the German numbers. We saw the IFO surveys come out last week. Very strong data there. Um, how, how do you think about that global allocation or that non-U.S. allocation to equities versus the U.S.? Right. So we know that people exhibit the home country bias. How are you thinking about that today? And what is your recommendation to our listeners out there on how to how to think about U.S. versus non-U.S. allocations. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm right now. I'm sort of a sixty, a sixty twenty twenty guy. But, you know, so I, I'm still at sixty percent in the U.S. I still think we're the best story. I think we have the most transparent markets. I think there's the best opportunity to look at different sectors, different drivers. So I'd be, I take my equity ball and put sixty percent in the U.S. Then I put 20% in Asia and 20% in Europe, but my 20% in Europe would, would, would be in, in the Western European. I wouldn't be playing the emerging market Eastern European countries. So it would be more a more conservative play in Europe where I want to get my juice is, is in is in Asia. And so in Asia, I wouldn't be looking at those traditional markets like Japan, but I'd be looking more, you know, China, Vietnam, Singapore to get my upside there. So sort of bookend what I'm doing, more conservative in, in my Europe allocation, but more aggressive in my Asian allocation to help drive the growth component. Very helpful. So earlier, Dr. Bob, you were talking about uh, work from home and how that could be impactful in terms of the way the economy is going to progress, uh, how, you know, perhaps even how market participants should think about uh, various corporations or just overall uh, uh, trends in the market there. And, you know, we're about uh, more, a little bit more than a year on from, you know, from the, the pandemic. And as we're starting to reemerge, you see that Jeff and I are still recording this from home. So we're taking on uh, this work from home uh, concept, you know, still right now. But just in terms of the themes of, you know, life changes, perhaps that have uh, been brought about since 2020 because of the pandemic. What are some of the other key themes that you might see stemming from both what we saw in 2020, but you know, really how they play out for the remainder of 2021 and, and really beyond? Well, one of the one of the ones that I I talked about before, not on this show, but you know, I I think that that the corporations around the world they're they're going to have to woke up, and and when I say woke up, that means that if there's something unjust going on around the world, whether it's in a market you participate in or not, uh, you no longer 
get to take a pass on that. You have to take a stand. Um, employees are going to demand their employers take a stand on issues, uh, whether it's social injustice, whether it's political injustice, whether it's governance issues, and stakeholders are going to demand. So there's, there's no longer the ability for, for any corporation, whether it's a U.S. corporation or a foreign corporation, to, to, to sweep something under the rug and say, you know what, that really doesn't deal with us or deal with our product. And so I think everyone's going to have to step up and take responsibility for the actions that are going around, whether it's civil unrest, political unrest, social unrest. And it, it makes some companies nervous. But at the end of the day, now's the time to be transparent. Now's the time to really connect with your employees and really connect with your shareholders and let them know what you stand for. What, what's behind that logo? We all know what the logo is, but what's behind the logo? And I, I think that's something that is going to change, not just corporate America, but, but corporations around the globe, that, that stakeholders and employees and sponsors, they're going to they're gonna expect them to take a stand on issues. And that, you know, from my standpoint, whether you like the stand they take or not, just the fact that they're going to do it improves the communication, improves the transparency. And as long as we're talking and discussing the issues, it's certainly a whole lot better than pretending the issues aren't there. Now, I think that's that's a beautiful way to end this because there's just so much hope and optimism inside of that as well, because, you know, it's not just the logo, as you say, but it allows people to vote with their dollar. Right. So it's not just voting at the ballot box, but also to say, I support these ideas or I don't or helping people come around to have those discussions. And so I can't think of a better way to end it, except I know has Sam has one better way to end it. And that's with his favorite part of the show. So Sam, why don't you kick it off? All right, Dr. Bob, that favorite part of the show is called Sherman Says. It's where I'm gonna be offering a series of alternating prompts between you and Jeff to which I hope to get a top of mind response from, from each one of you. And I'm going to kick it off with Sherman first on expanded unemployment benefits expiration. That's a long one, but I can repeat it if you want. <laughs> I know what it is, and it just happened. And, you know, I think much is made about it. Uh, much is made about it. But we're going to see, what, obviously, we're going to see what happens here. And I, this is not a one-word response. But um, I just, I feel that people want to work. And people have the desire to do that. And there's something about that spirit of the American populace that will come together and get the job done. And I think what it comes down to is that some of these things were life changes. And I know people get political about this, but I think when you talk to folks, some people just want to change their careers as well. And so I do think that there's been much made about it. And yeah, we have you know done some transfer payments and in pretty significant size. But I, I think you're going to see America continue to be strong. And I think that the worker will come back because people want to earn an honest living and they want to feel like they contribute more importantly. And what better way than going and doing something you love? So. All right. Next one for you is for you, Dr. Bob, with real wage growth. You know, I, I think it's common. And, and I think that's an important thing because at the end of the day, it, it's not just how much you're taking home, but, but it, what's the ability to live the American dream? And when I say live the American dream, if you don't have real wage growth, that means you're not going to be able to buy that home. That means you're not going to be able to send your children to college. And that's 
part of that dream. And so that, that the dream has to come. And I think that, that that's the beautiful thing of where things are as the, these corporations are realizing now, you know, if you're going to attract the talent you want, you're really going to have to have a partnership. And it really is going to have to just be that you know, you're going to have to share that wealth of that corporation. The way that wealth gets shared is with real wage growth. And I think that the wake up that we've had for how important employees are and how they really are the catalyst. It's not the product you make, but it's the people that make the product that are important. I, I think we're in for a great run in, in, in getting rid of the disparity of, of wage growth and really have real wage growth across the board, across you know, all race, across all gender. And I think that that's extremely positive for our markets. All right. Uh, back to Sherman with leisure and hospitality jobs. They were missing in the last report on Friday, <laughs> you know, but uh, I, I think it's back to what we've been talking about here, too. I think people either, you know, they felt at risk at some of these jobs and, or, you know, they want to look for something else. And I've used the anecdote of talking to uh, individuals at restaurants here, like the, the manager or whatever, when when you're going in, they're saying that you know, they're having trouble staffing, but a lot of it was because of competition as well. Other industries, specifically the construction and real estate industry, uh, where they've seen a lot of their workers go. So I think it's exactly what Dr. Bob was talking about is that, you know, it, it comes down to lifestyle. It comes down to wages and benefits. And look, at the end of the day, there will be a little bit of inflation in it. But if it's a real wage growth and we get a broad participation, that makes society and the economy stronger. Uh, trickle down works in some capacity, but if you really want a robust economy, the way you get it is broad participation. Hey, hey Sam, can I add something to what Jeff said? Because as a small business owner, let me tell you something that happened to Kane County Cougars. We were having trouble getting staffing our, our, our concession stands. And people were saying, oh, that's because all those people, they just want to be home and, and take the unemployment check and not work. It wasn't the case. They, they, they could find better jobs than working with us in concession. We could get them. And then there was another small element that they just weren't ready to come back into the workplace, not because they're getting paid unemployment. They were scared of COVID. They just didn't want to put themselves in that situation. So this perception that the reason we have this problem staffing is because people were just taking that unemployment case. I can tell you from Kane County, that's just not the case. They had better opportunities than what we could provide them. And there were people that just weren't ready to get back in that workforce interacting with, with, with people at this point in time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to kick this one back to you, Dr. Bob. Um, on the flip side, back to office, uh, corporate America. It's going to have a couple do-overs. Um, we've already had one. Remember, we were all supposed to be back to the office after Labor Day. Uh, you know, and I, I'm, I, I don't know where this Delta variant is going to go, but I don't think it's going to be turning on and off a switch like we used to be back. Now we're going to be back again. I just think the hybrid world is with us forever. Uh, I, I think if you want to retain the best talent, as a corporation, you dang well better figure out how to create a hybrid environment that people don't have to come back to the office five days a week, because quite frankly, they don't need to. And, but there will be a need for that to have teamwork and have creativity, but that doesn't have to be at an office. Heck, I think it could be at a minor league baseball game. I mean, I'd be happy to open up for that, uh, for those things. So I think corporations are going to get uh, very, very um, innovative in how they make this happen. And I just think it's going to, I think it's going to play out over the next 18 months. I, I just don't think all of a sudden it's going to be, okay, 
November 15th or January 1st. I just think it's going to be a phasing and it's going to be a learning process, a learning process for companies and for employees. What's that right mix? Is it three days a week? Is it two days a week? Is it a month in the office, a month out of the office? I, I just tell you, the, the workforce that we drop in is never coming back again. It, it, this, this is a game changer completely, and it's going to be exciting. And those companies that are the most innovative, you watch, they'll attract the best people. Yeah, I think that that's a great point, too, because uh, we're supposed to go back in the office today. That was our game plan. And we opened it up. And uh, my understanding is that seven people are on the trading desk today, um, exercising that privilege today. Um, and we'll see if any of them repeat tomorrow. Um, but I think some of them were in there. And, and Sam and I have been in a few times. I, I tend to go in once a month or so if we're doing something there. But um, I, I, I completely agree with you that time is better spent reading, doing research than sitting in traffic, especially in L.A. So, um, OK, I, I, I know they're supposed to be concise, Sam. I know, but I'll throw one last thing in. Sam always reminds us, Dr. Bob, and I think we're all adhering to it. You don't wear white after Labor Day, right? So that's the other thing that that still holds, right? All right. This is going back to you, Sherman, with supply chain management. <laughs> critical. Um, the pandemic exposed the critic, uh, how critical this is um, and how important it is to have multiple suppliers as well. And more importantly, the just-in-time inventory you know, I, I think that's a thing of the past. We're going back to restocking. And so I think you're going to see more focus on that. Uh, shout out to the, you know, the people who study operations research and actually applying that linear algebra to something um, useful out there um, and trying to get those logistics in line. So I think it's a it's definitely something that we'll focus on more heavily. All right. Surgical robots for you, Dr. Bob. Yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's the future and the future's here now. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm very blessed that I'm, I, I serve on the board of a private company that, that, that does exactly that for, for ears, nose and throat. And I think that's the wave of the future. I think it will extend the number of surgeries you can do, the, the, the amount of mistakes, reduce the amount of mistakes. It'll extend doctors' lives because so many uh, doctors' careers, because so many of these things are not just about robot taking over for the doctor. And so we have to realize that many of this would just be robot assisted. So it'll reduce hand tremors to zero. So, so you know, so it's going to enhance the doctor's career. It's going to enhance the patient. And I think that, you know, we just have to realize that that's, that's where the world's going. And it's, it's going to be in the world of medicine as well. And it's going to be a good thing, not a bad thing. All right. And final round here. Sherman, you've got Shohei Otani. MVP, I think lights out. He's the AL MVP. Uh, the the uh, NL is a little bit up for grabs now that Tatis has slowed down a bit. But I put my guys up there. Buster Posey, hell of a comeback this year. I think he gets a comeback player of the year award too. But um, you know, I'm shocked you didn't talk about the Giants beating the Dodgers this weekend, Sam. It was a heck of a series and uh, back in first place solo. So um, looking forward to the last three plus weeks. Yeah, well, I'm not always about that hate, so and nor did I know about it. So <laughs> now that I know, maybe I'll bring some hate for you later on after this. All right, fair enough. Podcast, all right. So and then the final one for you, Dr. Bob, is Thirsty Thursdays. It's my most favorite day. You know, look, here's when I when I bought the team seven years ago, they actually made money on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, lost money, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And I said, we gotta fix Thursday, let's win Thursday. And that's when we came up with the idea jointly as a group. But what if we had, you know, $2 beers, $2 sodas, $2 hot dogs, 
and it has turned Thursday into the most profitable night for the Kane County Cougars. It's better than Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so if you're going to come to a game in Kane County, just circle the Thursday. It's the most fun, uh, you know, $2 sodas, $2 beers, $2 dogs. It, it, it just, life doesn't get better than that. Heck, you can sit in the lawn. It's a $5 ticket, you know, so it's it's a great, affordable, family-friendly. And it's not just Kane County. I, I urge you to support any of the Meyer League teams in your community or any of the small businesses. Uh, you know, it's been a tough, it's been a tough two years for a lot of small business, not just those in entertainment or those in restaurants. So anytime you have a chance to help support the local businesses in your community where you live or where you work, I can tell you firsthand, being a small business owner, all of us greatly appreciate it. Great messaging, great messaging, yeah. Um, I think what's also important too is Dr. Bob, next time we're in Chicago during the season, we're going out to Kane County and we're coming to see you. Even if it's not Thirsty Thursday, we're coming and watching a game. Sam and I will be there. We'll be rooting for the Cougars. So hey, uh, I've got. We're going to have a double first pitch. I'm going to put both you guys on the mound together and do a first pitch. We, we don't do many double first pitches, but I am reserving a double first pitch for you two. Yeah, well, no, that's great. Um, it, it's done. It's done. So you, you had me at first pitch, and I'd love to see Sam there as well. So I can't wait for it. So, uh, Doctor Bob, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. You know, we really enjoyed the time with you today. Uh, for our listeners, where, where can they get in touch with stuff you're thinking about doing? Um, you know, besides the Kane County Cougar, is that the best way to get in touch with you? Let them know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is probably a, once a year I do a thing at the Chicago Executive Club, uh, you know, and th that's pretty well followed. So that would be one way to go. But the other way is just, uh, you know, anything at the Kane County Cougars. Absolutely. So again, this is uh, Bob Froelich. We call him Dr. Bob. He's the go-to man on everything minor league baseball, coupled with some economics, steel mill worker, and just a generally great guy. So Dr. Bob, we appreciate all the time you spent with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. And you guys can get these podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, um, a bunch of other things that Sam has now downloaded on his phone that he hasn't shared with me yet. Um, this is also on our YouTube channel, so you can subscribe to YouTube, youtube.com backslash double line capital. That's capital with an A, not with an O, people. This is not a capital of the of the of the state or the country. It's actually an investment firm. So double line backslash double line capital. So thanks again, Dr. Bob, and tune in in two weeks for our next episode. The audio presentation represents DoubleLine's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the express written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from DoubleLine, please contact media at DoubleLine.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Liability, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. 
The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any double-line entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any double-line entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk.